This is Joey Lafredo here from the University of Rhode Island's Restoration Ecology class with another installment of New England's major players in restoration. Today I'm joined via Skype by Mr. Mike Klein. Mike has been working at the Vermont Department of Environmental Conservation for the past 30 years, and he is currently the manager of the department's rivers program. In the mid-90s, he worked with others to reintroduce Vermont to the bioengineering of stream banks and has been leading a team of river scientists and engineers to restore rivers and floodplains ever since. So thanks so much for joining me today, Mike. It's good to be here. So I'll start by asking what your education and training are. Sure. Joey, I first uh, received a bachelor's degree in uh, biology with an emphasis in aquatic biology from University of Indiana in Pennsylvania. I then went on and finished my master's degree at the University of Colorado in river ecology. I then started my career, moved to Vermont here, and, you know, over the years, I've had the opportunity to work with different river scientists, particularly uh, practicing fluvial geomorphologists and, and hydrologists, hydraulic engineers. How did you get your start in restoration, and what kinds of things did you do before? Well, I started out working in fisheries. I then went on and worked for some time in watershed planning. That's how I started here with the department. And really, I think, followed the different iterations of program emphasis that the EPA put on, you know, pollution prevention, non-point source pollution. Eventually, that led in the 1990s with a section of the Clean Water Act called Section 319, which was a program that EPA had to pass through money to the states to try to correct non-point source pollution. That's when I took up with some other folks here in the state at various agencies, and we really started looking at eroding streams and, and the lack of riparian vegetation as contributing to the degradation of waters. And, and we started to experiment and bring back certain techniques that had been tried in Vermont, looking at ways that we could use vegetation to stabilize uh, stream banks throughout the state. So what kinds of restoration projects do you work on? Sure. We started out maybe 15 years ago looking at and learning about natural channel design of rivers. You know, essentially take a straightened river and rebuild the, the, the channel dimensions, meander pattern, the profile of a stream that fit in the particular valley setting. A lot of times these projects were initiated after floods where communities were really struggling with the amount of damage that was done and trying to work with uh, different landowners to put the river back in a way that was more commensurate with the natural channel dimensions. A lot of what we focus on now is working to resolve conflicts that people have with the river in a way that really supports the natural processes that are occurring. So how do we build a floodplain that creates the right depth and slope of the channel that is going to work with the type of sediments and the quantity of sediments and debris that are coming into that reach to reach that equilibrium. We're less about building whole rivers as we are of just, you know, essentially limiting our encroachments on rivers. And then when we do have to get in the river, making sure that what we end up with is consistent with those natural hydrologic processes, sediment regimen, debris regimen of the river, so that it can move towards a more stable condition over time. Based on your experience, what kinds of expertise does it take to accomplish a successful restoration project? It takes a whole set of expertise, in my experience. You have to have folks that understand the hydrology and hydraulics of flowing water. You have to have people who 
our understanding the relationship between hydraulics and the types of sediments and debris that the river will be processing, the fluvial geomorphology. It's, it's really important to have river ecologists, people who uh, understand the organisms, the macroinvertebrates, the fisheries that are trying to survive in that system. It's also, uh, I think, really important to have people who can really work within a community, the social scientists that can come in and help we technical people communicate this new dynamic of the river that we're trying to support through our river and floodplain uh, restoration work. What are the biggest scientific gaps that you think we need to fill in order to improve restoration efforts? Well, I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit before. Rivers are entire watershed systems, and so often our restoration work is just focused on a site. And it is really difficult for that restoration work to be successful if you don't take into consideration how the various uh, regimens of the watershed have been altered and might be you know, affecting the processes uh, at the site you would like to restore. We need to work with the academic world to get a better handle on how we can incorporate watershed science into river restoration applications. The other is, you know, if, I, if you go back to the, my particular background as being a biologist and, and a, an ecologist working in what is, you know, largely a physical science world of fluvial geomorphology and engineer, you know, river engineering, I see a pretty big disconnect still within those disciplines. I have long believed that many of the metrics, the biometrics that we've developed and we use to really explain the health of our rivers and streams come out of the work that we did to really define the impacts associated with pollution. I think many of us are finding that the same measures that we use uh, to look at macroinvertebrates or fish to say this river is impacted by discharges of nutrients or discharges of toxins or what have you are not necessarily the metrics that are going to tell us whether habitat, physical habitat attributes are as healthy as they could be. I, I can give you an example. Stoneflies, mayflies, caddisflies, uh, these are our water quality sensitive species. Those species can be perfectly happy in a completely straightened river that is very scour, that has clean substrates due to that increased scour that has resulted from the river being straightened. Uh, I know of many streams and rivers in Vermont that my biologist colleagues will say that's a river in really good shape. All the sensitive species are present. And I'll say, but the river's been straightened and is not functioning at all mm -hmm. uh, in terms of you know, the type of habitat that would exist in a, this type of river in this type of valley setting with this type of sediment supply and sizes. So, you know, we need to do research to find out what types of biological communities exist in the straightened river versus one that maybe has the, the dimensions, pattern, and profile of a river in its natural condition in that valley setting. And, and really understand those differences and, and, and develop those metrics that, that help guide our restoration work. What is your favorite project that you have worked on in New England? What has become increasingly my favorite type of project is where we are you know, doing some basic framework of the river, like building a floodplain, not necessarily touching the channel, mm -hmm. but then watching the river maybe that used to be very deeply incised or levied away from its floodplain 
now it's at that depth and slope where it starts to redistribute materials and create pools and create riffles and re-meander and, and adjust uh, to this different environment. In those situations like Bennington, Vermont, where we worked with the town to you know, build three miles of floodplain and now to watch the Roaring Branch start to, to go back to its more natural plan form uh, mm-hmm. after decades, if not centuries, of being you know, straightened like a fire hose down through the valley between high berms uh, from overdredging. And what's really critical about a project like Bennington is the town working with us went on to establish land use bylaws that says nobody can build within the corridor of the river. So you have this combination of protection with a certain degree of restoration that can allow that system to come back and basically restore itself. So experimenting with combining a certain degree of restoration with protection so that you know that work is going to last in perpetuity as opposed to doing a restoration project, then coming back 10 years later and finding houses and you know commercial buildings all around this river you work to restore because there were no land use controls and now the river has to be rechannelized. You know, riprap to protect those investments, and you've lost, you know, the restored value of that system. What are your biggest challenges doing restoration? Again, getting, as I said, getting that uh, acceptance and understanding on the part of the community and landowners that you're restoring processes, you're not locking the river into some set dimension and that they can then go and encroach and use that meander belt of the river for other purposes, that that space is for the river to continue to evolve and adjust and create the habitat that we're, that we're all looking for over time, over the long term. So get public acceptance of what restoration really means is certainly would be number one. My last question is, What advice do you have for students or new graduates hoping to work in the field of restoration? They they need to get as broad uh, exposure to the various disciplines that we talked about, you know, and learn learn how to work in multidisciplinary teams. The last piece of advice I would give is don't be afraid to fail. When you go out there and work on restoration, you will fail. Uh, I've gone into classrooms on campuses and, and often told students, what separates you from me is I failed more than you have. Um, and I, I, I still believe that. You know, certainly there are risks associated with people's properties and community infrastructure that you have to be careful with in terms of going out and experimenting and trying things. But, you know, find those lower risk areas and experiment and learn, bring in advisors that can help you. But the worst thing you can do, I think, and starting in this field is not doing anything because for fear that you don't have the exact right answer. You will learn the, uh, over time through efforts to go out and do these projects, uh, what works and what doesn't in different areas. And, you know, find out where restoration is going on and, and go out and, and talk to people who have a history in this work and learn from their successes and failures. Thanks so much for your time, Mike. And I hope you, the listener, enjoyed this installment of New England's Major Players in Restoration.